last uh, yesterday. We would like today to be very practical. And we will deal with some questions that present confusion to some Seventh-day Adventists. I know every time, even in the classroom, where I have apostles coming from the field to finish MDiv degree and going back to the field, I see how many questions they have about that. So this is something that we are all struggling. And please don't believe that I have answers to everything. I am struggling with some questions. It's one thing to stand on the pulpit and preach. Another thing is to put it into practice. That's what I find difficult. But we, we would like today really to look into biblical text and got, get some answers. But this is not for the purpose that we get answers to everything, simply to prompt us, to motivate us for further studies. So, we want to use every minute. Do you have your Bibles? Please, 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 please. Electronic version as well. Thank you, Father, for this book. Thank you for the opportunity that we can sit at the feet of Jesus and study it in order to understand your will for us today. So thank you. Please be with us. We want to experience your presence and the help of the Holy Spirit in trying to understand your word. We pray all of this in the precious name of the one who died on the cross of Calvary, Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Thank you, Father. We pray all of this in his precious name. Amen. So far, we try to see what really the promise of the Holy Spirit was all about. On Monday, we saw that it is because of what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary. And what was recognized there in the heavenly places where he ascended, that made possible for the Holy Spirit to come down to this earth. You remember that. Then on Tuesday, we saw how God fulfilled that promise in the, terms, in the term of the early reign with anticipation of the latter reign that we are waiting for. And we try to correct some misconception about that. But yesterday, my favorite topic. We wanted to understand about the promise of Jesus, the promise of the another, Allos Parakletos. I know now I, I have in front of me, I'm nervous. I have Greek experts now, okay? It's another paraclet who would come. Now there is a question, why do we need him? What does he do in our lives? And that's what I would like to invite you to go to this practical journey together with me. You see, brothers and sisters, whenever we talk about the Holy Spirit... We always focus on one thing. The Holy Spirit is in us. What does it mean? See, when we go to the Bible, a careful study of the Bible, and also the writings of Ellen White, of course, point... Something was there. Okay. It points to the twofold aspect of the work of the Holy Spirit in us. Twofold aspects. Most of the Christians usually do not make the difference between these two aspects. But I hope that today, at the end of our study, you will realize how much is important to understand the difference. And one cannot be without another one. The second is built on the first one, but you must always begin with the first. Can I repeat one more time? The second is built on the first. But you cannot begin with the second. You always have to begin with the first. So let's try to take some time to see about the first aspect of the Holy Spirit. 
For the purpose of memorization of what we are talking here about, I will use two words that I will repeat constantly during these studies. It's easier for us to memorize. This first aspect of the work of the Holy Spirit with the believers, with all of us, is expressed with the two Greek letter words. The same is in English. In English is in, I-N. So it's not difficult to, 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 to remember. What are we talking here about? We are talking about the Holy Spirit working in believers. Now you wonder what is the second one. We'll come to that. Okay. The Holy Spirit is working in believers. When you read the New Testament carefully, when you come to the writings of Apostle Paul, we have, starting with the Gospels and going to the writings of Apostle Paul, that Jesus promised that he will be in us and he will be accepted by faith. However, as we could see yesterday, Jesus does not come individually to be with us. He is in us by the Holy Spirit. You remember that yesterday. So the Holy Spirit dwelling in believers means the presence of Jesus Christ in us. So this word in can be expressed with the word dwell. And that's actually the word that Paul is using constantly in Romans chapter 8. Okay, so whether you understand it to dwell in us or in us, we usually say it is in our hearts. What does it mean? Brothers and sisters, how often we are using certain concepts? And when somebody asks us that Jesus dwells in our hearts, does it mean that this organ that pumps the blood? We automatically, automatically say, no. Am I correct? But then when we ask, then what is that? And then we start thinking. Actually, Apostle Paul says, you see, is that the Holy Spirit dwells in believers. Paul said, you are not in the flesh, even though you live in human body, but you are not in flesh, because flesh in the writings of Apostle Paul refers to our old human nature. But you are in the spirit. So there is contrast between flesh and spirit. If in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Can I provide a quick context for this? If you go to the previous chapter, chapter 7, Paul is talking about his life after the conversion. Many Christians are confused as they are reading this text. Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. And I have a best intention. I want to serve Christ. I want to do everything what God is telling me to do in his law. I have the best. I'm willing. I want to do it. But then Paul tells us about the reality of his life. And what is that? That despite the best intentions and desires and wishes, what happens? He finds that there is something within him so that he does otherwise. He does contrary to his, to his wishes. Do you feel like that? Oh, how many times in the morning I said, Lord, please give me patience today with my students. Help me how I relate to every person. Oh, Lord, today I'm determined. Please give me your Holy Spirit. And then in the evening I have a prayer. And what is the prayer? Sorry, Lord, when the student came to me lying how he forgot, uh, uh, and then my temper burst out. You know what I'm trying to say? That's the reality what Paul says. And that's what we will have to struggle, friends, all until the second coming of Christ. Okay? 
But then Paul goes to chapter 8, verse 1, and he says, But brothers and sisters, that's what you have to understand, that the Christians are in a warfare. Yes, Jesus saved us from the flesh, but that flesh, we are still in that. We still have our nature with which we are born. Yes, sometimes, sometimes we are, we are, we are put, put down. But in chapter 8, verse 1, Paul says, but there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We hate doing that before the conversion. We enjoy doing that. No, we hate doing that. And then in chapter 8, Paul is telling us, you see, you have to take seriously the role of the Holy Spirit in your life. If you rely on yourself, on your best uh, wishes, on your good intentions, you will experience a constant failure. And that's what Paul said. But if the Spirit of God dwells in you, you will not be overcome by the flesh. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. You live in the time of your pre-conversion experience. So we defend, depend on the, on, the, on the Holy Spirit daily. What does it mean? I struggled with that, brothers and sisters. Even as a pastor for many years, I struggled with that. What does it mean that the Holy Spirit is in me? How can I be sure? Hey, this is a crucial for us. How, how can I know? And then there is one statement of Ellen White that is repeated in many places in her books. Um, uh, sometimes repetition, she does some rewarding. But this first sentence, it's always, always, in all places that she mentioned this. She said, please, I hope you will be now with me. She said, it's in the book, Councils on Health, but you can find in many other books, compilations of Ellen White. She said, the brain nerves which communicate with the entire system are the only medium through which heaven can communicate to man and affect his inmost life. How does Holy Spirit dwell in a human being? I just want to tell you, as, as I mentioned on Monday, my wife was supposed to be with me. Unfortunately, an accident happened. Yesterday she had surgery, praise God. But it will take many weeks of healing. And believe me, I am with her constantly, 24 hours here. She's in me, I'm in her, are you friends with me? What does it mean? She's constantly in my mind. We are connected, it's very interesting. So many times when I call her, she says, Interestingly, I just decided to call you. How does it happen? <laughs> Friends, you cannot explain love. You cannot explain. I had one student came to me when I was in the college. When you were in the college, to those kids, you're the father, you're the teacher, you're the mentor, you are everything, everything. And you, you're supposed to know everything. So come to me and said, hey, teacher, uh, I'm with that girl already for several years. Um, I thought I was in love. Would you tell me, how does the person know that he or she is in love with somebody? I gave him a hug. And I said, young man, don't ask any more such silly questions. When you are in love with somebody, you don't ask such questions. You know that you are in love. And I see students who are in love. They try to find every corner that be just for a few mo uh, mo moments together. You know, it's the same as when the, when the person stands in, in front of the fridge. Am I hungry or not? You are not hungry. <laughs> when you are hungry, you open the fridge and you go to eat. Am I correct? So you see, I'm, I'm, I'm becoming now, now nutritionist, okay? So, but this is what, you see, when you are a Christian, you know that you are a Christian. And that's what Ellen White is telling us. Ellen White is telling us 
that Holy Spirit, when we read in the Bible that the Holy Spirit dwells in us, it means He wars with our mindset. He wars with our mind, with our process of thinking, impacting our decisions, uh, desires, everything what we want to do in, in this life. And then she says, He wars that through the brain, uh, nerves of our brain and impacting our whole personality. Praise God for the spirit of prophecy that we have. She helped me a lot with that. And if you go to the uh, next sentence, I will not read it. Explains why we Seventh-day Adventists abstain from alcohol. When you are drunk, the Holy Spirit cannot communicate with you. We don't use drugs. You know what I'm, uh, uh, what I'm talking about. Amen. We are not using different stimulants. Because everything what prevents, according to Ellen White, those nerves that work properly, diminishes influence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Amen. That's why we have the health reform. Health reform is not that you are vegetarian because you eat Loma Linda, fake food, fake meat. And that's how you will get to heaven. Vegetarian means to prevent anything, anything that can diminish the influence that God through the Holy Spirit wants to do as you as the person. Because, yeah, people say, but people in, in the biblical times, they, 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 they use alcohol. They did it. Of course. I hear people who try to justify everything. People never. No, they did it. But they never confronted such terrible temptations in their lives as we do today. Today to be Christian, it's quite different than 2,000 years ago. Actually, it's quite different when I was a little kid. Okay? So this is what it means that the Holy Spirit is in us. He works through our brain. He works through our, our mind thought, thought process in our, in our lives. When we say that the Holy Spirit is in us, please, if you're writing, this is the point if you want to write. When we say that the Holy Spirit works in us, it is always on behalf of our personal salvation, not salvation of others. Are you friends with me? Yeah. You're talking about the Holy Spirit who is working with me, transforming my character, subduing my old nature, Makes me to walk straight, to serve God, fills, according to Romans chapter 5, fills my heart with that love for God. And that love carries me through this life, despite the deficiencies that I have in my character. Are you friends with me? Amen. One more time, can I repeat it? Whenever in the Bible there is the reference that the Holy Spirit works in us, who is the beneficiary? It is always me. So, let me ask you, if the Holy Spirit works in me, I'm beneficiary. Are you beneficiary from that as well? Yes, sir. How? Because you're treating me the way Excellent. Thank you, my brother. If I'm, if I'm struggling with honesty, that's not only my problem, it's also your problem. Are, are you friends? If I'm not a kind person, yeah, that's my deficiency, but you are suffering also because of that. Christian life is not the only about me. It's also about people around me. Okay. But primary beneficiary I am. You see, the Holy Spirit brings conviction of sin. Without that, we cannot, we cannot feel sin in our lives. We cannot understand truly who we are. Conviction of sin. And then fills us, works on our mind thoughts. We desire for forgiveness and life in righteousness. And that the third step is the Holy Spirit that enables us and powers us to live a righteous life for our personal salvation. By the way, let me just couple of statements from Ellen White. I really like the way how she put it. For those who live according to the flesh, sorry, this is what Paul said. We'll come to writings of Ellen White. Who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. You see, Paul is focusing on what? On our minds. The same as Ellen White does. 
on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind of the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. You have the assurance of salvation. These are those statements of Ellen White. The prince of the power of evil can only be held in check by the power of God in the third person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit. Friends, we are dealing with powerful enemy. He's very much experienced. If you think that you are powerful enough, you change your mind that you see how actually weak you are. That sometimes that tiny things that we call temptation, whatever that temptation be, can be small object, can actually make you that you play all around like nothing. Then you understand how strong you are in your life. But Ellen White said, that's why you need somebody who is more powerful than that enemy. And that's what God is all about. That's what the Holy Spirit is about. And then she said, sin could be resisted and overcome only through the mighty agency of the third person of the Godhead who would come with no modified energy but in the fullness of the divine power. The Holy Spirit also guides believers in understanding of God's will. Another statement of Ellen White, she said, when God's people search the scriptures with desire to know what is truth, Jesus is present in the person of his representative, the Holy Spirit, reviving the hearts of the humble and contrite ones. Friends, I will make one statement that I know there's always temptation when I make some strong statements that people try to understand something else and discuss about that. But let me tell you is, you can perfectly understand the Bible. Provide exegesis of every biblical text and be right in understanding without the Holy Spirit. And I can tell you today the best commentaries on the Bible are written by people who sometimes, I know them personally, they say, I am an atheist, I'm agnostic. They know Greek, they know background. They can tell you what the meaning, grammatical analysis of the text is all about. So, you can do it. But there is one thing, you cannot do it. You cannot understand that text, what actually it means to you. How that text applies to your personal life. And how God can change you after you have understood the meaning, what is there in the word of God. That's why you need the Holy Spirit. You, me. When I say you, it means three fingers are pointing toward me. Now, we are coming into something that we are familiar with. You see, we are dealing with the Holy Spirit working in us for my personal salvation and the outcome of that working presence of the Holy Spirit in us is in the Bible especially in the writings of Apostle Paul, called the fruit of the Spirit. This is the product. And I don't want now to mention that at least two, three uh, places in the New Testament when the fruit of the Spirit is mentioned, but you know this is the most important one. I don't want to read it now because I don't believe that anybody sitting here is not familiar with Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. Am I correct? But there is something that people usually do not notice about the fruit of the, of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. Number one, the list is suggestive. This is not the exhaustive list. Okay, we have eight qualities mentioned, but in other places, there are more than that. But there is something very interesting. That in the New Testament, it is always the fruit of the Spirit, singular. It is never the fruits of the Spirit, which would be plural. Let me repeat one more time. It's always the fruit of the Spirit. It's always singular form. Whether you have those two or three qualities, 
or you have eight qualities, as Paul mentioned, it's always the same as the fruit. What does it mean? Can you give me an example of fruit? An apple. I invite you for my house and I said, hey, I want to show my hospitality. This is the, I would like to give you this apple because probably in the country where you are, I'm just inventing illustration, you don't have that fruit. Oh, the person is so happy. And I give the person an apple and one part of that apple is missing. What would he say? Or she say? That's not complete fruit. What is that that Paul is trying to tell us with regard to that complete fruit? And brothers, you're sitting here. Can I use one illustration? This is just illustration. You know, many years ago, I submitted my life to Christ. I became a Christian, newborn Christian. And I love God with all my heart. I belong completely to him. Oh, you, what you say? Amen, brother. And I say, I have only one problem when you are close to me. Don't leave your wallet somewhere close to me. <laughs> or, I'm converted, newborn Christian, belong to God. When I look you, I don't like your, your, um, the color of your skin. And suddenly you see my face changes. What, what would you think of me? How many of you, please, can you be honest, how many of you would raise their hand and say, no, I still believe you're a newborn Christian. But come on, friends, I'm paying tithes, I'm honest, I'm diligent, I'm good father, I'm good husband. But that but, it's telling me that I'm not a newborn Christian. I, I know that some of you are now skeptical. We have many couples here. Can you look into each other and say, dear, I love you so much. You know the whole my life dedicated to you. Only once in five years, for two hours, I go to that place. There is my former love there. Come on, friends, five years. How many hours are in five years? Only two hours per year I'm there. And my logic can work. But would the logic of your spouse work in this case? You see, in marriage, in love, it's not 90%, it's not a 95%, it's not 99.99, it's 100% or nothing. That's what the fruit is all about. Oh, I know now you are completely confused. That's how I was confused and for the first time tried to understand this, this subject. You see, the singularity of the fruit of the Spirit points to its completeness. It means you're a complete Christian. However, in Christianity, the life in righteousness is always 100%. Nothing less like in a marriage. However, please don't forget that Christianity is a growing experience. Your Christianity must be complete. You must... Surrender to Christ complete, but does not mean that your old nature, your flesh, as Paul explained in Romans chapter 7, will not slip down. I like the statement from Steps to Christ, the test of discipleship, where Ellen White talks. She said, there are many who have experienced the pardoning love of Christ. But when they see the mistake they make, shortcomings in their lives, they doubt that they have ever been converted, a little bit paraphrase. But then she said, to such I would say, we will often, can I repeat it one more time? Because some people like to cross it and put sometimes. She said, we will often have to fall before the feet of Jesus when we see the weaknesses of our character and our shortcomings. But she said, don't despair. That's actually what Paul is trying to tell us in Romans chapter 8. You see, you completely belong to Christ. It's not a 99%, 100%. But like in your marriage, you love each other 100%. But please don't tell me that in the past year, sometimes you did not have some. Am I correct? Right. What is the marriage? Marriage is, 
It's not about that. The people never, never didn't experience that somebody raised voice, etc. What perfect marriage, 100% loyalty in marriage is out, that after that you kiss each other and say, I'm sorry, and you move on in life. And longer you are in marriage, closer you are to each other, your confidence, your trust in each other, your love is growing experience that finally nobody, nothing can separate both of you in that love that you have for each other. That's actually also what Christianity is all about. And that's possible only by the Holy Spirit. The presence of the Holy Spirit, according to Apostle Paul in Romans chapter, chapter 8, is that we belong to Christ. That's why Paul, in 2 Corinthians 1 and Ephesians chapter 1, says, when the Holy Spirit in, is in us, we are sealed for salvation. And seal in the Bible means you belong to God, 100%, not 99%. There is no serving to two masters, according to Apostle Paul. Okay? This is the first aspect of the work of the Holy Spirit. The second aspect of the work of the Holy Spirit in Christian life, it's expressed by another word, and it's a little bit longer, is the word through. In the first case, it's for our own salvation, for our own benefit. Other benefit as well. While the Holy Spirit works in believers for their own salvation, he works also through believers on behalf of salvation of others. I hope now that you realize how people often confuse these two concepts. So who is the beneficiary from this second aspect of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives? Others. Do I benefit from that? How? I have students at Andrews. Now I'm in seminary. They are already adults. Pastors from the field. We said, oh, pastor, I am so put down. I feel isolated. I said, do you want me to help you? He said, yes. Go today, pay two visits to other students who are struggling financially. And after two hours, you will feel completely different. Am I correct? You see, when the Holy Spirit uses you to help others, you benefit from that. And that's how it goes. It goes into a circle. Okay. And when we go to the, to, the, to, the, to the Bible, the outcome of the working of the Holy Spirit through believers are called spiritual gifts. Many people confuse the fruit of the Spirit and spiritual gifts. I met Adventists who think it is one and the same thing. There is no difference. There is a basic difference. So what are spiritual gifts? That's what we want to, to, to understand. Let's just take some time to understand that. Why oh, hate in Carolina here, these watches are working too fast. Okay. In contrast to the singularity of the fruit of the spirit, okay, the spiritual gifts are always plural, never singular, unless an individual gift is mentioned. What is, what is the implication of that? What is the implication of that? By the way, spiritual gifts are mentioned numerous times in the New Testament. And there are different gifts mentioned in different places. It's telling us that the list is suggestive. There are many gifts today that some of us possess that Paul even did not have any idea about them. Working on computers. Paul did not know what it meant. Huh? But there is a particular section in Paul's writings where it deals extensively with the topic of spiritual gifts because of the problem of one church that was located in the city, ancient city of Corinth. The problem of that church was, according to Apostle Paul that he explains in chapter 14, when they were praying, everybody would compete speaking in different tongues to show how he or she was on the higher spiritual level than the other in the pew. And when the outsiders came there to the church, when they saw that noise, they left the church and they said, those people are crazy. 
By the way, the church had many, many problems, but this is just one of many problems that Paul addresses in his letter. So Paul decides to do it. But see what Paul does. In chapter 14, Paul deals with the topic of speaking in tongues. But Paul knows you can try to explain to the people about speaking in tongues, they will always have other questions. Why? Paul wants them first to understand what the purpose of spiritual gifts is all about because speaking in tongues is one spiritual gift. So if you want to understand that one particular problem, you have to understand what spiritual gifts are at all generally. And that's why in chapter 12, Paul explains we have the best treatment of the meaning of spiritual gifts that are found in the New Testament. Then we have chapter 13. Many people say, boy, was Paul thinking when he was writing 1 Corinthians? He just inserts chapter 13 about love. Does not belong to him. I just want to tell you, chapter 13 is the key for the understanding of the topic that we are talking this morning here. But in order that you do not leave earlier before I finish, I, I put qu question marks, okay? So we'll, 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 we'll come to that. By the way, can we go to the text that Paul mentions in 1 Corinthians? I will skip some text, but I like it to worship, to read the Bible. I like when we are together to read the Bible. But unfortunately, the time is flying very, very fast. So we are going to there. Paul says, there are a variety of gifts. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And then Paul said, to one is given one spiritual gift, to another is given another spiritual gift. And if you go there, you can see Paul talks about these gifts. And then if you go to the second paragraph, Paul said, all these are empowered by one and the same Spirit. The gifts are coming from whom? From Spirit, okay? Keep that in mind. Who apportions to each one individually as he wills. But Paul knows that this is a very difficult topic to understand. So he is using an analogy in order to illustrate his point. And this time, the analogy is of a human body with the members of the body. And he said, just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, thou many, are one body, so it is with Christ. And now what he's trying to tell us is, that the body consists of many members. And there is no one member of the body that is more important than others. Some are more prominent than others, but all of them, they are significant factor for the proper functioning of the body. Okay? This is what he is trying to, to tell us. And, okay, going through all these texts, I wanted to read us, but okay. And Paul even said, do you see the third line? That there are even some members of our body that we try to hide them. We will never display them before the people. But maybe because of some of those members, the human race still exists today. We have the continuation of the human race. You know what I'm talking about. He said we don't think how much certain members of the body are significant. And then Paul said, but now you are the body of Christ. And individually, you are the members of that body. Hey, friends, each one of us, including myself. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, then prophets, third teachers, miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Paul now makes the application of that. Now we want to see five points, five points that Paul is trying to stress here by using this metaphor. Number one, as, as you notice, that Paul calls spiritual gifts as the gifts of grace, which is the Greek word charismata, which comes from the word charis, which means grace. Friends, sometimes I see some Seventh-day Adventists. Don't try to tell them how he or she sings, how he or she preaches, how she does certain things. The person becomes offended because his ego was damaged. 
Paul wants to tell us, if somebody attacks your word, doesn't attack you, attacks the Holy Spirit. Because what you are doing, what you are, it's charismata. It's the gift of grace. You don't deserve it. When I think about my PhD and what I'm doing, when I remember 30, 40 years where I was, I grew up in a small town in Bosnia. It, it is only miracle that God gave us that grace, brought the gospel. I went through Andrews University. When I finished it, I had some small debt I paid. Do you know, it's on tons of, of, of $1,000 that you're paying for your tuition. God help me. And now I finished everything and I stand and I say, do you see how capable I was? Really? The correct would be how capable the Holy Spirit was to show the mercy on me. So everything what I do is because of that grace that was imparted to me. Number one. Number two. The point that Paul makes by using an illustration of human body is that every believer has received some gifts. Hey, no one of us sitting here is exempted. But please, what I put there, the words are very chosen. Because I hear so many times people are saying, everybody has at least one gift. I disagree with that. We all have more than one gift. At least everybody has mouth, can speak. There are some people they cannot, but they have some other gifts. Beside that, you have many other things in your life. Every believer who has the fruit of the Spirit, experiences a conversion, belongs to Christ, has some spiritual gifts. On the human body, there is no member that is useless. When I was young, I was taught in the school that there are some parts of our body are useless. It's better to remove them. Today, medicine showed that actually there is nothing useless on our human body. There is no useless member in the church on the body of Christ. Second point, no one has all the gifts. It means when one evangelist stands before the camera and preach, he's not expert on all theology, on all finances, on all problems in the church. That's usually how we treat people. If I'm a scholar, I'm not evangelist. Are you friends with me? Some people have more gifts, some less, but nobody has. Unfortunately, this is not how we do in practice. This is not how we do in practice. We have one person, and that person is almost like God. Did you notice it? Sometimes I go to camp meeting, and there is a person that I know personally preaching. People say, oh, we have our pastor in our church. It's up to here to us. If that person who is preaching is our pastor, how it will be different? And I approach to the people, I say, Say, thank you, Lord, that he is not your pastor. They look at me, what do you mean? I said, is your pastor friendly? Oh, yeah. Uh, does he have the spirit of understanding? Yeah, I can talk to him. And I said, to that person, you will never be able to talk about anything because he's always busy. He cannot listen to the people. He's only good for the camera. You see, this is what Paul is trying to tell us. I have so many times people coming to me, I'm, I'm telling them, sorry, I'm not for that. I don't have a talent for that. I can do in, 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 the, in the time of need, but this is not my talent. Nobody has all the gifts. The next one, all gifts are equally important. That's what Paul indicates with that metaphor of human body. But then he mentions, however, there are some gifts that may be greater than others. Friends, the person who is able to reach millions of people in the world to reach them for Christ, we would agree that that person has greater spiritual gift than the person who is able to work on an individual basis. Am I correct? But doesn't mean that one is more important than others. Are, are you friends with me? But please, all gifts are equally important. Can I leave this here?
And probably I will cheat today on you five minutes, okay? Don't worry, they will keep lunch for you. Can you imagine? You belong to a large church. I can think about the church where I'm a member of. It's a PMC church, Pastor Dwight Nelson. We are very good friends. And Pastor Dwight Nelson, I'm using illustration from Andrews University, announces to the congregation, says, brothers and sisters, there was one topic that had been confusing to me for a long, long time, and I know to all of you. And I decided to study. I asked other people for help. We invested a lot of time and energy and, and everything to get the answer. And finally, I think that we got it. So next Sabbath, I'll be preaching about that topic. Oh, but you are sitting there in the church. You cannot wait. This is exactly the question that you have been struggling with. You cannot wait that the Sabbath comes because you want finally to get the answer. Are you friends with me? And you are counting Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Sabbath day has come. Listen, listen to me carefully. And you are telling everybody, we are going, Pastor Dwight is preaching today. That sermon, that, 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 that I feel it's very important for my spiritual growth. And you are dressed, you know how we dress for Sabbath? You have a tie, I don't have it today, it's not Sabbath. And you are going to the church holding your Bible. And you are going to the step, stairways of PMC Church. You are entering there at the door. And there at the door is the usher, greeter, how we call it, greeter. And you say, good morning, brother. He looks or she looks at you. And looks you from here and looks down. And suddenly he is or her face changes toward you. Maybe the person didn't like your skin color, didn't like your accent, or simply didn't like you at all. Are you friends with me? Yes. How do you feel at that moment? Please, can you be honest with me? You feel down. You enter the church. You sit there in the pew. What is in your thought? Oh, waiting how Pastor Dwight will preach him. Is that in your thought? What is in your thought? That welcome that you received at the door. And finally, the time comes when the whole church says, Amen! And there is applause. Pastor Dwight preached the sermon. He says, that was the sermon. You even didn't notice that the sermon was preached. You know what I'm talking about? Why? Let me ask you, which gift is greater, the preacher on the pulpit or the greeter at the door? No, I didn't say it, but you know the point that I'm, that I'm trying to make. Do you see that we as human beings, we are making some, some gifts greater than others. When we have election in the church, we spend five hours, who will be the elder? And that's very important. And then finally, we have 20 people, in order not to be offended, he'll be usher, he will, he, will, he will be greater, he'll be there. Which gift is greater? I want you to make, to make you think. This is actually what Paul is, te is telling us. My legs can be healthy, serve me fine, but just one tiny tooth that I feel the pain there will destroy all my body. Am I correct? And the next one, Paul says, all the gifts are given for the edification of others, not for personal benefit. Can you just quickly open your Bibles? When Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, when he talks about speaking tongues, and he's telling the Corinthians that this is not okay what they're doing, focusing on a spiritual gift and making that issue of salvation. Please, let me just go quickly, if you, if you can be with me, put into the third gear, okay? Chapter 14, Paul said, verse 1, Pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts, especially that you prophesy. For the one who speaks in tongue does not to speak to men, but to God. Verse 3, 
but the one who prophesies speaks to men for edification. Verse 4. The one who prophesies speaks to men for edification. Uh, verse 5, the last sentence. That the church may be edified. Verse 12. So also, since you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek to abound for the edification of the church. Verse 17. For you are giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not edified than what you are doing. And please, I have to stop here. The whole chapter is about that. What are the spiritual gifts all about? So many times I have even a tenderness to find some people. The way how they sing, the way how they behave in the church. And people tell them, brother, be careful. This is the house of God. I don't care. I feel great. Then I tell them, stay at home and feel great there. When you are in the church, it's not there that you feel great. It's that you make church feel great. That everybody comes to that great spiritual experiences, coming closer to God. Are you friends with me? Spiritual gifts is not for your personal satisfaction. It's for personal it's for the edification of the church, for edification of others, for benefits of others. Oh boy, I'm in trouble. Now there is a question. I know what you're thinking, but what are really spiritual gifts? And one of the confusing topics that people have in questions that they are asking, for instance, I'm not a singer. Don't worry. If I start singing, the worship is over. But just imagine, I tell you, I'm a musician, singer. Is that a spiritual gift? Okay. If you say, yes, if today I leave the church, I would lose my spiritual gift. I've not been a musician any longer. Am I speaking in English? Yes. Sometimes you need the gift of understanding the tongues. The question is, are spiritual gifts a supernatural endowment of the Holy Spirit upon the believer or the spiritual gifts our natural abilities and talents? There are some people, they say, no, 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 no. Spiritual gifts have nothing to do with our talents and abilities. I'm sorry, friends. Those who are musicians and Christians, they were musicians before they became Christians. Am I correct? So it has something to do. It has something to do. But then what is the difference? I will explain just in a few moments. But also, we know according to the Bible... That when the person accepts Jesus Christ as a personal savior, there are many people, they suddenly realize they are capable and able to do certain things they were not able to do before. Yes, there are some spiritual gifts that are supernatural gifts given by the Holy Spirit. You heard the story of a pastor driving the car and the person at the road and he put him in the car. He stopped and put him in the car. He wanted to talk to him, to tell him something about Christ. And he realized that the pastor did not know Spanish and that person did not know English. But he prayed and said, Lord, this is golden opportunity for three hours or two hours we'll be in the car. You know that story. You heard it. Every story sounds a little bit different than you heard originally, okay? And he said, finally, after three hours, two, three hours in the car, that person promised to me that we will visit Seventh-day Adventist Church. So, how? He said, we even didn't realize. We communicated. Yeah. I had a student in the class coming from New Guinea. They had a huge camp meeting. The problem in New Guinea is that every tribe has different language. And he had about 100 different tribes, about 4,000 people. Now they invited him to preach. He even did not know any of those languages, even the longer. He just spoke English. And 
And people gather together, pray together, say, Lord, do something. And he said, I'm going to preach. They preach. At the end, all those tribes, they came to him. They said, this was the best message that anybody preached to us. How? You see, the Holy Spirit does something, some supernatural things. But in most cases in our lives, these are the talents that you were born with. So what is the difference between the talents and spiritual gifts? What is the difference? If you say that, 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 that our talents are spiritual gifts, then Michael Jackson and, and all others, they have spiritual gifts. But on the other side, we saw the problem if you deny it. What is the problem that there is one person had a natural talent, great singer. Why is he singing? To make people happy? No. To make himself happy. You know what I'm talking about. Doing everything for himself, for popularity. But one day, that person accepts Jesus Christ in his personal Savior. Now the Holy Spirit is using his talent, his ability. For what? Not for his personal benefit. He can still use uh, uh, music to make for his living. Are you friends with me? The main motive the Holy Spirit is doing by using his talent is for the benefit of others to bring them to Christ. This is the difference. This is the difference. The question is, what makes natural talents to be spiritual gifts? Actually, it's the fruit of the Spirit. Without the fruit of the Spirit, there is no spiritual gift. There are no spiritual gifts in our lives. I promise to you that at the end, we'll talk about chapter 13. That many people wonder why Paul put those words, that great poem about love, he put there between chapter 12 and 14. Chapter 13 is the key regarding what we, are, what we are talking here. By the way, we have to start with chapter 12, the last verse. Let me paraphrase and we will explain. Please now, it's the conclusion of the sermon. So you have now to work with me, okay? I'm looking for your cooperation. Paul said, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. I have some students and Andrews, they said, boy, I have a dream one day to be conference president. That the students tell him, don't be filled with pride. I said, what is wrong with that? Paul says, strive for higher gifts. Praise God for that. To be evangelists, to preach to the whole world. What is wrong with that? Paul says, strive toward that. But Paul said, I will show you something that is more excellent than spiritual gift. And what is that? Please now you have to be with me. Okay? You promise that you will cooperate. Paul said, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, what is this? What is the speaking tongues of men and angels? How do we call it? Spiritual gift. This is a spiritual gift. Paul said, if I have spiritual gift of speaking tongues, but I do not uh, I do not have love. What is love? Fruit of the Spirit. Love is not a spiritual gift. It's a, so, if I have the spiritual gift, but I don't have the fruit of the Spirit, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. I can be a great preacher, but without love, without the fruit of the Spirit, if I cease to be seven dead, and this, I can be a great politician and make the same impact on the people. It's simply the talent that I'm using. Are, are you friends with me? Paul said, and if I have prophetic powers and understand all the mysteries and all the knowledge, and even if I have a faith as to remove mountains, spiritual gifts, but if I do not have love, the fruit of the Spirit, I'm nothing. And then Paul says, if I give away all I have, if I even deliver my body to be burned. Spiritual gift. But if I do not have love, the fruit of the Spirit, I gain nothing. 
I hope now that we understand the significance of chapter 13. I have to stop here, but we have to conclude with this statement. It is the fruit of the Spirit that makes our abilities, natural abilities and talents, spiritual gifts. Because it comes from the Holy Spirit. He is the one who is working salvation in me. It's the, it's the Holy Spirit through his transforming power make difference in my life. A rude person becomes meek and gentle. Arrogant person becomes humble. The person who is full of himself is now full of Christ and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is working with him. And when that person has experienced the sweetness of that salvation, the Holy Spirit fills him with that love, moves him. The Holy Spirit now works through him in order to reach others for Christ. Brothers and sisters, that other for Christ can be your brother and sister in the church, maybe sitting next to you in the pew can be a member of your own family, can be your neighbor, can be the person that you are working together in that factory or in that office. doesn't matter. You see, when you are led by the Holy Spirit, you don't choose people to whom you will witness and bring your testimony of Christ. By the way, I don't have the text, but just for personal information, if you go to Romans chapter 12, this is exactly what Paul is telling us. And you will see how Paul concludes. All of these spiritual gifts, but he says, let love be genuine. Only the genuine love that the Holy Spirit imparts in our people can lead us, can guide us, that we can go through this life with our total 100% faithfulness to Christ. And only one day, only one day, the eternity will show how much the Holy Spirit used you and me for the benefit of others so that they find themselves one day in God's kingdom. That's what the Holy Spirit is all about. The Holy Spirit is not some abstract notion, something that is far away, far away above our heads. It's very, very practical. It touches our hearts. It touches every action, every thought, and in everything that we are doing in our life. That's why Paul said that we are either aroma, somebody for salvation, or it can be obstacle to somebody for salvation. My brothers and sisters, I hope that this four-day study of the Holy Spirit will now lead you in a further investigation of how you can make this subject personal, how it can be applicable to your personal life. Please, if you feel that not everything goes as it should be, don't fall into despair. Because we mentioned yesterday that Jesus says that the Holy Spirit loves us as much as Jesus loved us when he died on the cross of Calvary. Yes, that's our opportunity. Tomorrow, I would like to go to another book of the Bible. I would, I would like to go to the book of Daniel and to see what we talk here, how actually was in practice shown in Daniel's life. I hope that you will enjoy it tomorrow. How the Holy Spirit can use one person, even the places that you will say nothing can be done. How God can use that person for his glory. And everything is because of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit dwells in our lives, what the Holy Spirit can do for us. And I hope that you will enjoy the rest of the day. So let's bow our heads to pray together. Our Heavenly Father, once again we want to tell you, to give you thanks for that great gift given to us as human beings, and that's the gift of the third person of the Godhead. Oh, Father, please forgive us. We are all struggling. How in our personal life to experience your love, to experience that transforming, to working transformation of the Holy Spirit first in our personal life for our personal salvation, 
and then also for the benefit of others. And Father, at this personal, at, at this special moment, I'm praying for each one of us who are sitting here. You know the struggles of our heart. You know how much we want to serve you. But please, Father, help us that we can understand that it is not in our power. But thank you for a promise that you can do for us and that you will do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, please come at this moment. Come here into the hearts of each one of us and help us that our future can be much brighter than it was the past. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for a promise. And thank you for working at that promise out in our lives. We pray all of this in the precious name of our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. May God bless you for the rest of the day.